It's our privilege to present this message from the teaching ministry of Reverend George DeYoung as part of the Fruit from Under the Fig Tree. George DeYoung is the founder of Under the Fig Tree Ministries, an organization dedicated to helping people understand the power of God's Word in its Jewish context to equip them to impact their culture. George helps us understand the message of Christ by experiencing the world of the Bible. We pray you're challenged and encouraged by the Word of God as George brings us this teaching from the text. Now, let's see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and set our hearts on what God desires as we join George recorded live on location. Let's begin this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things have been made. Apart from Him, nothing's been made that's been made. And in Him is life, and that life is the light of the world. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So the Word, the Word became flesh. And that's what's going to happen here in your response to what God's going to lay on your lives. This is a time when God is calling you, now that you're going to learn something about His Word, His Word, not only the printed page, but His Word, Jesus, that your lives will be lived more boldly, and that people will see Jesus in you and in us, and the Word will become flesh. And that Word dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. Hear these words, for these are the very words of God. In the last days... The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as Rosh, as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above all other hills, and the nations will stream to it, saying, Come, come, let's go. Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Let us go to the house of the God of Jacob. For there he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths, and the law will go from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Ah, and he will judge among the nations, and he will settle disputes amongst the peoples, and they, they will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. No longer will nation take up sword against nation. No longer Will they learn how to make war? Oh, come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And all God's people said, and amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message, this blew me away. I have been threatening to preach on my least favorite verse in the Bible for a while. And I will. Well, first of all, this is the title, Back to the Future. This is a tough crowd. I thought there might be a little bit of positive that. And the passage that we shared is from Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Pull out your Bibles, would you please? And if you don't have a Bible, take the one in the pew home with you. We'd love you to have it. Open up your Bibles. We're going to go to Isaiah 2, and we're going to study verses 2 through 5. I want to get to the teaching, that the thing that Brad just gave me eyes to see, and it's been huge, huge, back to the future. 
I mean, that's Michael Fox, Christopher Lloyd, that trilogy. Quite frankly, to be honest with you, Star Wars I've seen, Back to the Future, I haven't. But I love the title because it'll fit by the time we get to the end. It's not going to fit when we begin. It'll fit when we get to the end. So what I want to do, though, in keeping with Back to the Future, I want to begin Isaiah 2, 2 through 5 at the end and back it up. Let's do that. Isaiah 2, verse 5 ends, and the beginning of our teaching... <laughs> is, come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, something about that, a couple of things, that's at the end of our section. Our passage culminates with, come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The thing I don't like about that translation a little bit, it sounds like an invitation. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord, when really it's an imperative. It's saying, come, now walk in the light of the Lord. It's at the end because it represents some things that have come before it, and so it's a command for us, and it's a command for us to walk, and it's interesting, this is Isaiah. Isaiah is Old Testament. Jesus is in the New Testament. And what's interesting to me is that Isaiah uses this metaphor of light. And we just talked about that in a few moments. In the beginning was the word. And John, in his prologue to his gospel, talks about Jesus as being the light. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood him. In him, John says in verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now, we've talked about this before. And I'm just going to just repeat it just for a second because I think it bears repeating. When our God introduces himself in his word, he introduces himself as a creator God because in the ancient period, the author of everything had authority over everything. And so God introduces himself as a God who speaks. And he speaks in a particular context. The earth was formless and void. It was chaotic, the Hebrews say, the Jews say. It was chaos. And what God says to chaos is not line up, stop it. What God says to the chaos is let there be light. I can't tell you how important that is. I can't tell you how important it is for people who are blind and darkened by sin. They just don't see things and they end up walking over stuff. Because they didn't see it. What they need is light. And the first thing that God says is let there be light light. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And when you walk in the light of the Lord, you're not going to be banging into stools or into walls or falling into pits because you're going to see them. I think it's really important. Isaiah 2 verse 5 is a, is a commandment, come, let's go, now walk, when you walk, you walk in the light of the Lord. The next verse, they, this is the nations, will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. The Hebrew word for beat is literally smash. Now this is what the nations are going to do. The nations are not us. It's them. Israel's to be a light to the nations. So the nations sometimes, because they're not always friendly to us, they can be our enemies. They demonstrate their hostility to us by using spears 
and swords. Now something has happened that our, the nations, our enemies, are taking their swords and they're smashing them. They're taking their spears and they're smashing them. And what they're doing is they're not only smashing them, but they're taking the metal there because it's very precious. They're forging it and they're not making better swords or better spears. They're making pruning hooks and plow points so they could work the earth and tend the earth. Exactly what Adam was supposed to do before the fall. So there's something very redemptive and very restorative. And the thing is, is I want to know why would they do such a thing so we back up a little further. The reason they're smashing their swords, the reason why they're smashing their, their spears is quite frankly, they don't need them anymore. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. That's why they're smashing them. Metal's pretty, these are Dutch people. Metal's pretty expensive. You just don't throw that away. No, 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 no. You smash that up. You redeem that and you use it. You use it for redemptive, restorative, God-pleasing purposes to till the earth and to tend the earth because you don't need swords anymore and you don't need spears anymore. Well, then I want to back up a little further and I want to say, well, why is that? Because he, that is God, God's going to be the, in Hebrew, shoftim. God is going to be the judge. In the Bible, you have prophets, and prophets are people who take God's word and speak God's word into situations, usually because there's disobedience. And so you have prophets call people back to repent. In fact, Isaiah is a prophet. And the words we're reading are his prophecy. He's speaking God's will, God's word, the Torah, into a situation. You have priests. Priests are people who have their function in the temple. And the temple is, in that time of period, is where God met the people and the people met God, and that was facilitated by a priest. Then you'd also have kings. Kings were, as you know, were those who ruled. A king's job is to provide for his people and to protect them. And if a king did what was right in God's eyes, well, then God would unleash his blessings. And if a king did what was evil in God's eyes, God would withhold his blessings, and God would withhold his protection. But in the whole thing, you have these three offices, prophet, priest, and king. But here it says God will judge. Now, who, what's a judge? Well, there's a whole book called Judges in Hebrew, Shoftim. And what a judge was to do, a judge's role was to see that the economy went properly. A judge was to see that there was no bribery. A judge was to see that the marketplace was done justly and fairly. And that when it came to business, it wasn't who you know, it, it was what you know. And that there wasn't a different set of weights and scales for family and for Israel, and there was another set of weights and scales for the nations. A judge would see to it that God's command of treating the widow and orphan, a judge was someone who would see, and now, now, now you see, God is going to be the judge between the nations. And because of who he is, and he loves righteousness, and he loves justice, many of the disputes that separate peoples are going to simply be eliminated. It's kind of like world hunger. World hunger is not a food production problem. It's a food distribution problem. And what we need is someone to come and stand into the world hunger issue as a judge. Not as a prophet, not as a priest, not as a king, as a judge. And I'll tell you, you do that, you get a judge who knows his stuff, who's pure of heart, it's going to eliminate a lot of disputes, guys. Now, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, okay, we're backing up through this passage. Why is God doing that? Why are the nations listening to God? 
Why would they do such a thing? Well, because the law will go out from Zion, the previous verse says. Now, I could translate that in Hebrew. is literally the Torah. Now, the word Torah literally means, it's come to mean the five books of Moses, but it literally means the way of an arrow. The way. The Torah, the way of God will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, what if I did this? And I can, because it doesn't matter. It's an interpretive thing. What if I were to just click the button once more? And the word, it's capital W. Does that make any difference to you? Because when you read John chapter 1, you'll find the word there is capitalized. And I would argue that you should capitalize this one too. Because the law, the Torah, the way of God will go from Zion, and the word of the Lord, as in pre-incarnate Jesus through his people, will go from Jerusalem. Because people all of a sudden are seeing a different way. They're hearing a different thing. They're coming to understand God in a way that, you know what, we want him to be our judge. And you know what, because he's our judge, we don't have battles anymore, so I I don't need this sword as a sword, but I can use it as a plowshare. And the spear, you know what, let's keep the pole but change the end of it so it's not a spear but it's a pruning hook. Sound like a plan? Come, Israel, walk in the light of the Lord. So the Torah will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now I'm going to back up a little bit further and I'll say, why? Many people will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his way so that we may walk in his paths. And all of a sudden, the many peoples are the nations. Well, Israel is a people among the nations, and because their light shines in such a way, people are being drawn, and they're saying, hey, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord. Let's go to the, to the house of the God of Jacob. Why? Because you know what? There's something about those people. And they tell us that they're walking in the way of the Lord. They're telling us that God is teaching them how to walk along the path he has for them, and that is to life, and that is to hope. There is justice, and there's righteousness. I begin to see things. Why are the people coming to Jerusalem? Why are they coming to Zion? Well, that's the previous verse. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord will be established as chief. Now, the word there in chief in Hebrew is rosh, and that means head. It will be the head of all the mountains. You understand in the ancient period, deities attached to location. So the higher the mountain, the stronger the deity. Now, when you go to Jerusalem, this is amazing to me. It's always intrigued me. There's a lot of midrashim. There's a lot of interpretations. But when you go to Jerusalem, you will discover that there are three hills. There's the western hill, there's Mount Moriah, and there's the Mount of Olives. There's the western hill, there's Mount Moriah, and there's the Mount of Olives. Now, when I do that, I'm doing that intentionally. When you stand on the top of the western hill, you look down on the Temple Mount. And when you stand on the Mount of Olives, you look down. You look down on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount, is the smallest of the three. That is counterintuitive to the ancient practice of having, you know, Mount Olympus. It's the tallest in Athens. That's where Zeus lives. That's the pantheon of God. It's the highest. In fact, where gods live, it's called in Greek the Acropolis, the place of ruling, and it's always the top. But God has his hill as the smallest. For God's hill to be the highest, it's not a geographical term. 
For God's hill to be established is chief among the mountains. It's chief among the mountains because of who God is and who He is and how He demonstrates who He is. God's hill, although geographically small, is chief because He's earned it. And His hill will be raised up above all the other hills because He's earned it. And now the nations can see where they need to go. And they see not because God's mountain is literally the highest, but they see because they see God's people. And they say, we're going to go there. It's interesting. The Hebrew word for the nations will stream to it. Do you see that? The nations will stream to it. In Hebrew, that's the word for flow. They'll flow there. Get the picture. I mean, this kind of makes me dance a little bit. His hill will be raised up. By the way, just uh, right across the plate, looking for an answer here. Does water flow uphill or downhill? And yet the nations will flow up to it. It will be the most natural thing. And I'm telling you, you try to stop water from going downhill, you can do it. You can affect it. And invariably, will go downhill. What Brad opened my eyes to are you ready for it? Is this. In the last days. You ready for this? This is huge. Absolutely huge. In the last days. In Hebrew, In the NIV, it's translated as in the last days. In the Revised Standard Version and the King James Version, it's translated, it shall come to pass. But literally, literally it means, you ready? In the behind days. Now, Isaiah 2, we've just gone through it. Isaiah 2 is a prophecy, and he's talking about what will come. And what will come is contingent upon people having the kind of relationship with God a healthy, redemptive, restorative relationship with God in such a way, it's as if God's mountain has been established as head. It's like his hill has been raised above all other hills, although there's been not one yard of dirt piled on it. No, no, no. It's because of his people. And because of that, nations will see this and they will stream there. And granted, it's uphill, but you can't stop them. They're streaming there. And why are they streaming there? They're saying, come, let's go to the house of the Lord so he may, so he may teach us his ways and we can walk in his paths not our paths his paths and, and God's word will go out from Zion and the Torah will from Jerusalem and, and, and God will judge between the nations because the nations want him to judge finally we got some righteousness finally we got some justice and you know what we don't need our swords anymore we don't need our spears anymore so let's make them something so we can cooperate with God. We'll, we'll make them into plowshares and we'll make them into pruning hooks. And, and at the end of that, Isaiah says, now, Israel, come, O house of Jacob, walk in the light of the Lord. Now, all of that is behind us in the future. Now, how's that possible? How is that possible? Chris, come on up. For me, there's a couple things I understand. I understand this, follow the Lord your God. Samuel's saying this, he's saying it to a king. This is what I do on the trips. I say, come, let's go. And you know what they do? They follow me. So, you ready? Come. This I like. I'm not that I'm walking ahead. I like it. I like being where Chris is. I like the following thing. I'm all over that. Then there's this passage, and this has to do with Enoch. And Enoch says, Enoch walked with God. 
Ready? Walk with me, Chris. I'm going to go over here. Not that way. No, over here. Come on. We'll walk together. Come on. Need a hand? See, we're walking with each other. We're walking with each other. This is the verse that has always thrown me. This verse has always bothered me. This is kind of one of the worst verses in the Bible. It's this one. I I don't know if you ever think of that. If you have one, maybe you don't. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me and don't get it wrong. Okay, Chris. Walk before me and don't get it wrong. You got it wrong, buddy. (laughs) Keep going. Come on. See him? Do you see him? It only took a couple. He's just, do you get what I mean? Do you get what I mean? Have you ever had that? I have that all the time. God says, walk before me and be blameless. And I'm walking, I'm going, here God, here God. I almost don't want to walk. I've heard people say, oh, you know, I wish we were like the people of the Old Testament because God could come before him and would say, Abraham, leave your country and go to the land I will you know, show you and all that kind of stuff. We just want God just kind of, I'll take a halter. Put me on a halter. I like to walk with you. I love following you. But walking before you, that bothers me. That bothers me. To walk before God and be blameless. But now this Isaiah passage. In the last days, and it shall come to pass, in the behind days, which are the future. Chris, our future is over there. Okay, I want you to come. I want you to face your future. Now I want you to face your future the way Isaiah says you should face your future. It's behind you. Now what is Isaiah looking at? God, your future are not the days in front of you. Your future are the days behind you. And you walk into your future. This is not a metaphor for everything, but this is powerful for me. You walk into your future backwards. You are never disconnected from your past. You are never disconnected from those who who have walked back into their future ahead of you because God has given them to you in such a way that you can see them. So when I say to Chris, okay, Chris, walk backwards. Just walk backwards. Yeah, well, okay, walk to your left. Now walk to your right. Keep walking. Keep walking. Okay, now walk to your left. Okay, now keep going. Walk to your right. Good. Now what he's doing is he's obeying me. He's obeying me because he knows we don't have a lot of stage left. (laughs) But he's obeying me. He's listening to me. He's learning from me. And with every step, Chris and I, if we were to do this long enough, and you give me an afternoon with Chris and I together, I could have Chris running backwards through this sanctuary, and all I'd have to do, I could just look at him and move over. I wouldn't even have to say a word. So tuned is he to my word. Do you realize how important the Bible is? It is the words of life. Can I tell you how many people think who walk before God, and they walk before God facing their future, not backing into it, get off track? because they have no accountability. They are not sensitive to the nuances of God. When God says, slow down, speed up, to the right, to the left, wait a minute, okay, let's go here. What God has, in order for His mountain to be established as head, in order for His hill to be raised above all the others, He needs a people who will walk in His light, and His word is His light. And that's an order. And when that happens, the nations will come. And they'll say, 
Let's learn to walk in his ways. And then God will be involved in a way. Finally, justice and righteousness will flow down the mountains. And the world is so hungry for that. And the world is so thirsty for that. They are so hungry and thirsty that they don't even know that they're hungry and thirsty. Until one day, someone and a group of people walk backwards into the days behind them which is their future, never losing a sense of the past, being sensitive to His Word. My friends, there are days when you and I follow God, and God says, come, let's go. And I say, I don't want to go. No, God says, come, let's go. And that's a whole different thing. There are other days when God says, walk with me. And we say, we don't want to walk there, God. We don't want to walk with you. That's a different thing. But when God says, and He has said it to you, I know He has. He said it to all of us. We've been together for a while. Now walk before me and be blameless. And for years, I never understood. I thought I had to walk in front of him just checking back. No. Oh, thank you for Isaiah. These are words of life for George. To walk into the future is to back into it. Keeping my eyes squarely on God's. Oh, and by the way, do you know what God calls you as you back into your future? He calls you the apple of his eye. It's our desire that this teaching by George DeYoung has encouraged you to walk more closely in the dust of our Rabbi Yeshua. Please visit us on the web at www.underthefigtree.org or write to us at Under the Fig Tree, P.O. Box 1256, Holland, Michigan, 49423. Please remember George and this ministry in your prayers. Under the Fig Tree is a nonprofit organization that's solely dependent on your tax-deductible contributions. We very much appreciate your support. Now go and tell Israel. And until next time, may the shalom of the Lord guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.